Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their taproom in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, we're talking with Casey Brewing and Blending. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. Joining us today, we have Troy Casey, the owner, brewer, and blender at Casey Brewing and Blending. We're going to talk about fruit and fruit beers and local ingredients, probably barrels, and some hip-hop, potentially. Uh, Troy, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Troy, we are actually enjoying one of your beers right now. We have an Apricot Funky Blender, and we talked about the gorgeous label art on this one (laughs) from 2017 here. Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, you said you've recently updated your label art, but we have a, a vintage bottle here. So vintage. But could you tell us about this beer? Yeah, absolutely. So back in uh, 2017 was a fun year when we realized that we uh, had so much opportunity to take different base beers that we were making and put different fruits on those different base beers. And at the time, we didn't have any great branding around that. And so we just made a generic label and then we put Uh, like a mailing label in the middle of the front center of the label to dictate what it was. I thought I was a genius at the time, but then we quickly realized that uh, we've got to figure some stuff out. So in uh, the summer of 2018, we hired my brother-in-law, Russ, to come through and he's totally revamped most of our labels, made some new awesome designs. Apricot Funky Blender that you guys are drinking is a Funky Blender base beer. So it's a farmhouse base beer made with uh, Saison yeast, Britannomyces, and lactic acid bacteria. And then that's fermented and aged in vintage oak barrels for usually around three to five months. And then that one specifically was re-fermented on perfection apricots for about a month at a rate at four pounds per gallon, organic perfection apricots. Yeah, the the fruit is fantastic. Yeah, it's very apricotty. Yeah. Of all the things I've ever had, this might be the most apricotty thing that I've ever consumed <laughs> in terms of liquid. Nice. Very tasty. Yeah, apricots are so tough to work with from a brewing standpoint because, like you guys mentioned, they're such um, an intense fruit. And so, some apricots that you get at a store apricots can kind of be hit or miss depending on the producer sometimes they can be mealy um, or very sour with very little flavor and so apricots are really tough to work with from a brewing standpoint because what you can be left with after re-fermentation on the fruit is something incredibly acidic so it's fascinating i st- i never would have realized until i got into beer how many different varieties of fruit they were like one apricot or cherry can have so many varieties and give really so many different characteristics from it indeed but i'm willing to taste them all brian Taste the rainbow today. That's right. So, Brian, busy week, man. What uh, what did you get up into this week? Boy, I got up to a, a fair amount. So one of the things I did, and 
you know, with the uh, the juice strikes back, which I'm not even going to start on that. I, I before that, I went to a release event for Tucker Brewing. They released three beers at once, and uh, you know, a pilsner, a hef, and a uh, a doppelbach. And uh, you know, I was all about that pilsner. But uh, another thing I was doing in my spare time, because I do have so much spare time, right, right. I've been slow pouring everything, Tim. So I've been slow <laughs> pouring slow pour coffee. Coffee uh, stouts lately, milk stouts. Okay. Then cocoa bunny and does it work with those? Stuff. It did actually. Okay. It very casky. For those who haven't heard, listened in a couple of weeks, we just want to reiterate that we are pro slow pour. Yeah. And anti boss <laughs> pour. But just, just so we throw it. Troy, are you familiar with the the boss pour? Uh, you know, I I am. I'm ashamed to say I am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's your stance on the boss pour? It's uh, it can be visually appealing. Um, <laughs> this show is over. Yeah. <laughs> Tim threw down his headphones and walked out the door. Yeah. No, I, I'm just trying to play both sides here, right? I'm trying to give <laughs> sure, sure. answer. So it can be appealing to yeah. some people. As a brewer, um, the foam, while it has very little to do with the enjoyment, if you were drinking a beer blind, has very little to do with the enjoyment of the beer. It almost it makes for all the importance in the world as far as how you drink with all your senses, so your eyes, um, and uh, so the way the, the foam looks, the way the, the the color of the beer looks, pe- it's like people don't, people don't drink with their mouth; they drink with their eyes. And so the foam to me is a very important part of the of the overall enjoyment of a beer for me personally. So um, I was just in Japan for my brother's wedding, and they were pouring their lagers. They would pour um, normal pour. It got to the close to the top, and they would they have they have draft systems that I'd never seen before, where that you push the you push the uh, draft handle backwards, and there's a second uh, outlet on the tap that only pours thick foam on top of the glass, and so it's a way to get really creamy foam without having to wait really long. Um, like you guys are talking about the slow pour, which which usually bugs me because if I'm at a bar, it's hard enough to get the server's attention. I don't want to wait 10 minutes to get a beer. And so yeah, right, the, way, right. the way the Japanese do it is very, very cool. That sounds neat. That That's what I was thinking is uh, if I can get the slow pour faster, because we have, it's trending in Atlanta right now, Troy. So we've got, uh, have you have you visited Atlanta? Have you been to our breweries, beer bars and such here? I have not. No, unfortunately not. Okay. So we have one that's very well known, the Porter Beer Bar in an area called Little Five Points. They were one of the first ones I noticed that had the slow pour tab. And they tell you on the menu, this is going to take seven minutes from the time you order it, you know, to get it. So, but, uh, but I worked other... at Coors. I used to work at Coors and they had a beer called Barman Lager. And they talked about that, how it was a, like a seven or seven minute pour for all the reasons that it sounds like you have talked about on previous shows. And, and, uh, Pete Coors Jr. used to tell me, here's what you do if you want to order a Barman which takes seven minutes to pour. You get a Coors Original and a Barman at the same time. So when you're done drinking the Coors Original, the Barman is already ready to go. So a little pro tip there from a Coors family member himself. Live pro tip. Get a beer yes. to wait for your uh, your other beer. Indeed. So, Tim, I think it's time for the Beers of the Week. Crack open a cold one. It's the Truck and Tap Beer of the Week. Woo-hoo! Craft beer and food trucks in downtown Woodstock. Truckandtap.com. Brian, as always, we've got some good beers to drink. As we mentioned, we started off the show with a little apricot funky blender from uh, Casey Brewing and Blending. We also have a Casey Family Preserves Cherry. That is from uh, July 25th of 2017. That is a blend of cherries from Palisade, California. Colorado, not California, Colorado. Colorado. 
Uh, the fruit varietals are Attica and Utah Giant. Did I say those right, Troy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we're going to get to those. And Brian, I bought for dessert, Oops. I brought us a fistful of cake. So okay. we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. That's my favorite way to uh, have dessert. Cake in, in a in beer a form? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Brian, what is going on in this week's news? What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. In probably the most important and unexpected news of the week, Genesee and other half are collaborating on a new beer. And I know this is very relevant to your interests, Tim. It is. I'm excited. The beer is named Genesee Dream Ale, and it's being described as Genesee Cream Ale with an other half twist, which means oats, lactose, and a lot of hops. So 180 cases of the collab were made. That's 4,320 cans, just doing the math. And the, the beer was released at a, quote, mobile can sale, which I think they just drive into a parking lot and sell the cans or something like that, at the uh, Genesee Brew House on March 22nd. So if you're in the area but you did not get your Jenny Dream, you might still find some on draft at Other Half in Brooklyn. After reading this, I had to check my calendar to make sure it wasn't April 1st yet. No, it's Jenny Dream is real life. This is real life, is. Brian. To anyone listening to this that is in the Genesee distribution area, I would like some Jenny Dream. So, uh, you know, give me a shout if you can help me out there. ISO, Tim, ISO. ISO, give me some for sure. All right. So good news for hopheads in the audience. The Brewers Association is partnering with the USDA to develop public domain hops, which I didn't know was a thing, but it is. The USDA's agricultural research arm will fund public public hop breeding. The goal is to develop disease-resistant aroma hop cultivars and provide additional support to hop growers around the U.S. And this is important because the demand for new and existing hop varieties continues to grow at a very quick rate, but chronic loss and uh, isolated catastrophic loss, and that's a quote, of crops from pests and diseases is also growing at a really alarming rate. The Brewers Association says that's as much as 15% of the hop crop lost each year to these nuisances and these losses to stabilize the critical hop supply chain. So that's that's a problem. You know, creating them uh, without an intellectual property right attached to the hops will ensure that growers everywhere have access to high-quality, disease-resistant cultivars, Tim. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. More hops is a good thing. Absolutely. I agree. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more with Casey Brewer. As a brewery owner or taproom manager, are you looking for ways to enhance your customer experience while maximizing your revenues? Craft Cellar is a mobile solution that helps your brewery drive sales and attract new customers through online pre-sales for beer releases, events, and memberships. Get details now at craftseller.com. Mention Beer Guys Radio after sign-up and extend your free trial to a full 30 days. Remember, craftseller.com, C-R-A-F-T-C-E-L-L-R.com. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, poppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing, establishing a new standard in craft beer.
Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. Condolences. The bomb's lost. Now, back to the Beer Guys radio show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys radio show. If you miss an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. We're talking to Troy Casey of Casey Brewing and Blending. Troy, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank we you really appreciate it. You know, something I missed in the first segment that I need to back up just a little bit. We have one of our sponsors in the studio with us this we week. We do. And we don't normally get to do that. So uh, Joe Lasko with Raztec, a new sponsor. Joe, we appreciate you coming out and hanging oh, with us. Thanks for having us. We're going to yep. share some beers and we're going to learn about protective flooring for your breweries. A lot of people don't know a whole lot about it. Yeah, we'll get into that in the next segment. We're going to talk. We're going to get a little info from you here. Until then, we're going to drink some beers. I'm all about it. Sound good? Excellent. So, Troy, uh, what got you involved in brewing? Where did you get your beginning? So, when I was uh, 20 years old, I was a tour guide at Coors. Um, So, my dad has been in the brewing industry his whole life. Um, And I was 20 years old. was looking for a summer job. My dad uh, helped me get a job as a tour guide. And so it was amazing. I was uh, studying chemistry, uh, at college at the time and had no idea what I wanted to do with my chemistry degree. Uh, and then being a tour guide, I kind of realized, Hey, I could do brewing with this degree. And I went home and I asked my dad, like, dad, I think I could do brewing. And my dad was like, yep, absolutely. You can Let <laughs> yeah. me show you how. So he never forced it on me. I, my mom's uh, a Baptist, uh, so she drinks about one Coors Light a day. Um, so it was never something that was forced upon me. And uh, um, we kind of all spiraled from there. Very cool. Now, you know, something here that Brian made a note that you worked at the Miller Coors Pilot Brewery and you brewed a Blackberry Dark Sour there. I think so. We know Mitch still and Mitch worked with, you know, AB and Bev and he did some experimental beers and different things there. I don't think a lot of people know that the big breweries do a lot of creative beers uh quite a bit of brewing like this correct absolutely yeah i mean when we when i started in uh, 2008 worked there in that pilot brewery for about five years and during that time i think we won nine or ten gabf medals for loggers uh and mostly for loggers um we've won some stuff for some india pale lager and uh, even a couple of medals for sour beers and so yeah we do everything and it's just never profitable enough to, for the most part to expand upon that and make it really big like most craft brewers do and so it's just something that uh, for me working at ac golden they were doing it just for the recognition as uh the marketing if you will if i was in a beer trivia contest and someone said true or false Coors has won gabf medals for sour beers (laughs) i would have got that one wrong i would have as well i would have missed that yeah, I'm curious seeing that 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 you brew that there. It's it blows my mind, but I'm also wondering did that kind of inspire you or get you going on the path that took you to where you're at now? Like you had that did that beer, and you're like, I got to do more of this. I got to do a lot more of this. One hundred percent. I mean, when I started at Coors, uh, I expected to be a company man for my whole career, just like my dad was. He retired two weeks before I left to start Casey Brewing and Blending. Um, so he worked his whole life making, trying to make the American light lager better and more consistent. Um, Say what you will about it. It's a tough beer to make consistent throughout the world. And so that's what he focused on. I anticipated I would be a company man for these big brewers as well. I was passionate about the brewing science aspect. I got my master's degree from UC Davis, a great brewing program here in the States. Um, And I thought it was going to be great. But then I started falling in love with these sour beers. And then I made a beer that was basically trying to mimic Belgian style sour beers without doing the spontaneous fermentation that I was really excited about. 
And so at the time I was becoming disenfranchised with Coors as well. My girlfriend at the time, wife now, she had moved to the valley that we currently live in. And so it kind of all worked together for us to uh, come up here and start what uh, has now been over five years in the making. And there's, you've had big changes recently because the Casey brewing and blending for a while, the brewing part, you were just fronting there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We weren't front. We were doing, we were, it, was a, it was a blender. It was a blender. We were saving, we were, we saved money by not having to invest in a brew house to begin with. We were brewing uh, our recipes with our ingredients at other um, local breweries that already had the infrastructure in place. I mean, we were brewing once every other week, basically. And so it made no sense in the beginning to have a brew house when we were brewing that infrequently. And so it was really great um, to do it how we did. And we're just getting done uh, using the wort, which uh, which we've been aging um, from those uh, host breweries. And now we're, as you're about to allude to, I think we're brewing ourselves and we're really excited about that. I'm kind of curious how you handled the whole wort production situation before you had a brew house. I mean, you're going to have to get it from somewhere. How, how do you manage that? So we, would, we basically reached out to other local breweries that, uh, that had a brew house. We approached them saying, we'd love you to make uh, our recipes with our ingredients. We would always go there, brew ourselves with them for the first couple of times so that we were comfortable with their process and they were comfortable with what we wanted. And then we, uh, for the majority of the time, we would just show up with a sanitized tote they would knock the wort out into the tote and we would take that back to our facility, put it in barrels for fermentation. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's not done. No, many, most people don't do that, but it's uh, very simple when you look at it from uh, how I do. Now, what, uh, what size and uh, type of brew house did you put in there? Did you go big? We did not. We went small. Uh, so we were using 15 to 18 barrel brew houses for the most part. Uh, and so we would be able to fill about eight oak barrels from that when all was said and done. We put in a seven-barrel brew house uh, that we bought from JV Northwest, so American-made um, with, uh, with a lot of custom features just for our process. And we wanted to have a smaller brew house so that we never had to worry about having a barrel empty. So the longer a barrel sits empty, the more risk can come from that if it's going to become acetic and turn to vinegar once you put beer back into it. And so we want to be able to brew every week to always be filling those barrels. So we, we brew about twice a week now, and we're at the point where a, a barrel never since empty for more than a week or two. That's a, and I think I saw that uh, you, don't, you didn't necessarily get the brew house in order to increase your production just to make things, I guess, easier. You're, you're not looking to more make it huge, bigger right out of the gate, right? Absolutely. We're, we're, I mean, we're, we are going to start to make some clean beers. Uh, pretty soon, but for the most part, when we put that brewery in, it was we just wanted to have a hundred percent of a hundred percent control of our process. So uh, we we the brewers that we've worked with have been awesome. We've gotten great product from them, but as you guys know, the as the breweries will grow and they they could easily just be like, how do we drop other production to to make it better for ourselves? That's just natural. That's the way a business works. And so I didn't want to be in the point where I had to drive an hour or two each way to get worked because we live in such a remote location. Um, so I, everything that we've been doing is to be completely self-sufficient, uh, which is where we're at right now. So did you say you said you're doing clean beers? I thought uh, that was kind of something you were avoiding st sticking with all the, the barrel stuff or that. No, that's I mean, that's been the case for I mean, we've been in this building now for just over five years and we never thought we would do clean beers. It's kind of funny when we bought so we bought six 10 barrel 
fermenters for bright tanks for uh, um, fruiting. And they gave us a really good deal to pick up three unitank seven barrel fermenters. And so as the industry changes, we want to be able to roll with the punches a little bit and have some clean beers as well as our sour beers. It's, it's a passion project, if you will. It's kind of the exact opposite of how most breweries would be. Most breweries would, would make their money on clean beers and dabble in the sour beers. And uh, that's kind of where we're going to get to experiment now. You'll have yeah. to be careful <laughs> adding that clean beer that you accidentally don't get some clean sack in your in your sour right. beers. All, the, all these <laughs> sours are clean. <laughs> that, would, clean beers. that would be an infection, right? There's that would, that service all of this beer is uninfected. <laughs> I guess it would be an infection depending on the... On where you're at there. Now, another piece of, a, of equipment, you added a cool ship as well, correct? We did. Absolutely. Yep. And did I see that uh, you just brewed a beer with Jeff Stuffings and, and put it in the cool ship there? We did. Yeah, absolutely. So we've done four cool ship batches this season. I've always loved Allagash's spontaneous beers. They've been amazing. But when I tried Jester King's beer for the first time there, uh, Spawn in Denmark a few years ago, when they first debuted it, it just blew my mind, made me rethink everything. And so from that point on, I was definitely trying to figure out how can we do this ourselves. So we got to the point where we're able to get a cool ship, seven barrel cool ship. We built a room uh, just for this. If it works out, great. That'd be awesome. If it doesn't, I kind of expect it won't, but we'll, we're trying and uh, we'll see what happens. Good stuff. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more with Casey Brewing and Blending. Is your brewery or restaurant flooring looking a little worse for wear? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you need something slip-resistant yet cleanable with soap and water. ResTech has been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002 and offers a variety of solutions for your facility's needs. If your floor needs a little TLC, stop by our booth at the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver or visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. It's Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock and Alpharetta are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks daily, so that way you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and coming soon to Duluth in 2018. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram you passed out cigarettes for a smokeathon on earth day you installed speed bumps on the handicapped ramps and most recently you dumped a hundred pounds of meat on a peaceful vegan protest oh come on that was way more than a hundred pounds now back to the beer guys radio show Welcome back to Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout out to one of our great radio affiliates, WTKI, 1450 AM and 92.9 FM in Huntsville, Alabama. Catch Beer Guys Radio on WTKI every Saturday at 1 p.m. Central. Now back to our conversation with Troy Casey. Troy, if you don't mind, we'll get back to talking with you in just a moment. We're going to sip on your Family Preserves cherries here a little bit. But we're going to talk to Joe here about uh, ResTech flooring for your brewery. But real quick, Beer Guys history. 
Yes. Uh, WTKI, WEKI were our very first radio affiliates outside of our home market. So True. thank you, Huntsville. They've been with us for a long time. So we appreciate it. Joe, you are with uh, ResTech, and ResTech manufactures uh, flooring for breweries, restaurants. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, ResTech and what you do? Sure. So I have truly loved being part of this episode with Troy because our story is not, it, it's so similar, it's unbelievable. Uh, family at Miller Coors? No, not quite, not quite, not quite, yeah. but family company. Worked for my father, right? So same thing. Mm-hmm. We, uh, almost everybody starts with this. Um, it's usually a relatively cheaper flooring called epoxy. Everybody private labels it for everybody else. And they usually expand into other chemistries from there. Well, we didn't. We started with an acrylic because it was the need in the market, which is one of the more difficult flooring types and expanded backwards. So I love hearing Troy's story about how, they decided to not go with the clean beer right off the bat and then change it up with, you know, to keep up with the market. Same thing with us. So I lo- I've loved listening to Troy talk about his brewery so far. It's been great. That's good. So, you know, I love people who are passionate about anything because, Joe, I'm going to be honest with you here, and you, you pro- this may not surprise you. I'm not sure I'd get personally really excited about flooring. Most people don't. And, <laughs> yeah, but and, if you do, go for it, man. And, and that's what's really crazy is we like to think about ourselves as brewers, except in flooring. We, we are as passionate as brewers are with beers as flooring. So, okay. so I love hearing that. You know, Good stuff. So. so speaking of that, what – um. Why should a brewer choose a treatment like ResTech, something like that, for their brewery? What's the point of doing that over just like a basic poured floor that they have? Yeah, so a lot of people are just opting to keep their concrete. They just pour the foundation, they leave it, right? Um, There's four reasons why you want to consider doing a type of overlay like ResTech. There's the three resistance. There's chemical resistance, slip resistance, and heat resistance. Those are all things that cause problems for breweries, you know. The fourth one is cleanability. Um, you don't want anywhere bacteria can grow, um, any kind of joint that's showing, any kind of crevice that's still around is gonna is gonna lead to problems, especially with, with a health department. So, are there different kinds of flooring for different environments? Are there multiple things you offer? Oh, absolutely. So, like I just talked about, we were founded on an acrylic type of chemistry. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to beer guys, but not sure about that, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's a, it's a type of plexiglass, almost even like flooring. Uh, Some, we, we have only done about three brewery floors so far. Okay. What we, we designed this product for high end flooring installs. I'm not going to name some names, but some places where shopping is a pleasure or there's a center that controls diseases in downtown Atlanta that we have over 500. Mm, I've heard of that place. Yeah, so, I've heard of that place. So, okay. um, you know, where you can grab a really good butter burger out of Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, so right. a high end clientele. And what we've realized is that we've also created something that's great for these brewers that they can handle caustic acid. It can handle high heat and they don't have to worry about, um, any kind of bacteria growth. Now, Joe, I knew nothing about flooring at all until a couple of weeks ago. You called me, said you wanted to get the word out, let breweries know you offer this service, educated me a little bit more. And one of the things that you told me was that a lot of breweries don't do this when they're initially building out. I think cost is probably a factor there. But if you don't have some kind of treatment, issues can crop up in the future. What are some issues that can happen there? Yeah, so the a brewery is expensive to build as it is, you know, um, especially, uh, you know, not unlike other, what others do, we've used a toll blender when we started, and now we're making our own stuff just like a brewer would do. And so when you're investing in this equipment and you're investing in the property, it all adds up. And the last thing people are thinking about typically is a floor. Our, our favorite customer is somebody who has a failing floor. And so what, what can happen is you, if you just choose to rock the concrete foundation you pour when you, when you have your building, 
uh, it doesn't last forever, especially when you're in a harsh environment like a brewery, whether that's steam being blown directly on the concrete, caustic acid, acid dumps on, down the drains, all sorts of harsh environment like that is just totally going to chew your concrete up. And the real, the real problem where my heart kind of breaks as a flooring guy for these brewers is if they don't do it in the beginning, it's even more expensive when you're having to basically fix the concrete that's falling apart and then put an overlay on top of it. So right. we, we really try to encourage the value of doing it in the initial install. Like anything, there may be cost up front, but if you let it go and you have issues, it's going to be even that's more, right. That's right. more expensive then. So Joe, what's the best way for someone to learn more about ResTech flooring? So come check us out at the uh, Craft Brewer uh, show out in Denver this year. We're going to CBC, have a, CBC Brewers Conference, right? We're yeah. going to have a booth out there. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody. We'll have some samples for you guys to take a look at and see what that looks like. Uh, the best way to get a, uh, in, in touch with us is going to be our website. That's res dash tech r e s is in sierra dash t e k k is in kilo dot net um and we offer free evaluations with our approved app- applicator network good stuff joe thanks for sponsoring the show we appreciate it thanks for joining us today. oh man i've had a great time good stuff troy we're we're back to casey beer now and we are sipping your casey family preserves with cherries that we talked about a little bit earlier had some special cherries in here from a 2017 batch can you tell us a little bit about the this beer in the Family Preserve series? Absolutely. So the Casey Family Preserve series is where we take our uh, Saison base beer and then age it on uh, fruit at around four pounds per gallon. So I think you said you're drinking the Attica and Utah Giant blend. Is that right? That's right. Yep. So those are sweet cherries that we got from uh, the Palisade, Colorado region. So it's west, uh, western Colorado. There's a great microclimate for um, fruit production that's been going on since the late 1800s. Um, and Attica and Utah, Utah Giant are some really nice dark uh, sweet cherry varieties, kind of similar to the Bing cherry. So those are going to provide a little bit more, um, uh, how do I say, uh, classic uh, dark um, cherry notes to it that uh, are very different from the sour cherries that are usually more traditional um, in these sour type beers. So I have to know, I, I saw this commented somewhere, uh, is the commercial cherry pitter that you bought, is that still the most expensive piece of equipment at your, uh, at your brewery? Or yes. now that you've bought brewing equipment, maybe there's more expensive stuff now. I don't know. That's right. Yeah. Now that we brought the, now that we have the brew house, that's, that'll top it. But back in 2015, so in 2014, we, it was the first summer we were open we did maybe 120 pounds of, of, of sweet cherries. And I've got a picture of my wife just hand crushing these cherries to break them up. And so sweet cherries, <laughs> sweet cherries are really firm and they have a very good shelf life, which is why you see sweet cherries on the, on uh, non-refrigerated at grocery stores. But as soon as you remove the, um, the stem, it, 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 uh, makes the flesh, uh, open to oxidation. And so that's when the shelf life fades. So you never see sour cherries on the shelf. They're always frozen because they don't have a shelf life because they're picked without a stem. And so that first year, maybe 120 pounds of sweet cherries. The next year, 600 pounds. And I just remember having to, to have people de-stem them and then have them uh, de-pit them five cherries at a time. So we had uh, just a, the biggest at the time that I could imagine a cherry pitter, which was five cherries at a time. And it was a nightmare. So in between that, the 2015 and 2016, I was like, there's, I know there's better ways. How do I find something that is going to work for us? And so we found a, uh, a sweet cherry pitter that was from upstate New York. And 
at the time that was the most expensive piece of equipment we would we have ever bought had ever bought and we've only we only use it two or three times a year i i want a commercial cherry picker because i love yeah. cherries i want one at the house i think one that does like a thousand cherries at a time because yeah, you know brian yeah. I've, i'm vegan now it, I, so yeah so you, he had one vegan uh, sausage and now yeah, he's vegan now he's vegan. joined a commune Absolutely. already yeah. yes it's a Go veg, Brian. That's Go veg. <laughs> so, Troy, we actually uh, we're getting short on this segment here, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about ingredients. I think awesome. we want to dig into that a little bit more. So you are listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break. We'll be back very soon to talk more with Troy Casey of Casey Brewing and Blending. Hi, I'm Patrick Murtaugh from Hardywood Park Craft Brewery, and you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. It's Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock and Alpharetta are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks daily, so that way you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and coming soon to Duluth in 2018. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Is your brewery or restaurant flooring looking a little worse for wear? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you need something slip-resistant yet cleanable with soap and water. ResTech has been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002 and offers a variety of solutions for your facility's needs. If your floor needs a little TLC, stop by our booth at the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver or visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons can get some cool perks like Beer Guys swag and commercial-free episodes. And now back to our conversation with Troy Casey of Casey Brewing and Blending. Troy, we talked earlier in the show about blending one of your beers, about blending your cherry family preserves with Monday night's fistful of cake, which is an opera cake style, coffee, vanilla, imperial style. And we've decided that I have already been fired as a blender. Yes. <laughs> before I even started, because what I did when I blended these two beers was made both of them less good. <laughs> so, and that that's, so I'll stay out of it. The fistful of cake by itself, absolutely phenomenal, creamy, delicious stout. It's delightful. Yeah. The family preserves is delicious tart cherry and uh, both of them together. They just, they just destroy each other. So I won't do that again. I'll stick to drinking <laughs> beer and talking about it. There but, we go. Uh, Troy, we wanted to talk to you about uh, your brewing ingredients. Something I think is really interesting. You know, I know a lot of people try to use, local ingredients but may not find as much as they'd like to but you actually brew with is it correct 99 percent local ingredients yeah i think that's fair uh we do we colorado is one of the few states that has all the ingredients available to, uh, to us to to make beer and so it's kind of how beer used to be made right you used to make beer with the ingredients you either grew on your farm or your neighbor's farm 
and that's what you had and that's what you used. And um, so the majority of beer that we make is definitely made with Colorado ingredients. We play around with dry hopping with uh, hops from uh, outside of Colorado. Uh, we use a little bit of malt from uh, Europe for the Munich malt, but for the majority of our blends, the majority of blends are 100% Colorado ingredients. So you have to say the 99% for those few sure. that you just can't get what you need, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. The majority of the beers that we make are 100% Colorado ingredients. So speaking of 100%, all of your beers are still 100% uh, fermented in oak barrels, or are they vintage oak barrels, or how does that work? Yeah, so everything that we've done so far has been 100% fermented and aged in vintage oak wine barrels. So for us, vintage oak wine barrels means uh, neutral um, oak wine barrels. And so we are looking for those wine barrels that have had a lot of turns uh, with from the vintner uh, that have pulled a lot of those vanilla oak characteristics out of the barrel so that we get something that really can just contribute subtlety to the blend as opposed to dominant kind of in-your-face um, vanilla characteristics. What are your personal favorite barrels to work with, Troy? Vintage French oak wine barrels. And so the vintage meaning they've, uh, they're have they of no use to the winery anymore because they don't contribute oak to the wine. And so they get rid of them because there's no, that's why you age in wine is to get the, uh, the vanilla characteristics. So by the time we get them, I know that we can use that barrel just for the oxidation, subtle oxidation impact of aging a liquid in a wood porous vessel. So that kind of reminds me of going back to my the days of homebrewing and, and messing around with uh, wood aging with uh, cubes. And I, I agree with you, the, the really strong tannins are just, they're really sharp in the beer and it's something that's undesirable. But, uh, you know, I think we got to switch to- topics here a little bit. Uh, so on your website, you say you use uh, Saccharomyces brett and lactic acid bacteria, but I see no mention of pediococcus. Is that something that's kind of implied by supplied by the fruit or is that something you shy away from so pediococcus would be considered lactic acid bacteria it's under that same uh, category but we don't intentionally pitch it into our farmhouse beers it's definitely there i think because we get we have definitely some diacetyl issues from time to time we do pitch pedio into our uh, oak theory blends which is our belgian style sour category of of beers so we do use pedio we buy that from y yeast um, but for our farmhouse beers, it's in there, but it, we don't really know how it got there from kind of from that uh, house culture that we keep going. I know you always hear lacto and PDO almost as a a pair. Yeah, I wasn't sure reading that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Troy, uh, speaking of the ingredients that I wanted to back up to that just a little bit on the fruits. Is there a fruit that you want to use that you haven't had a chance to brew with yet? Oh, absolutely. And so by using focusing on using only Colorado ingredients. And that's, we haven't only done that. We just last year in 2018, we, we started finding raspberries from uh, Northern Utah. And so we weren't able to find enough raspberries that we needed to for last year's uh, harvest. So we found, you know, I want to say local still, they're still local, but they're in Northern Utah. It was a seven hour round trip. So it's far away, but they're still kind of local, but it's just what we could find, what we could do with. And uh, citrus, to answer your question, citrus. Okay is yeah, something that I would I really wanted to use. And that's why, like we said, with the Gesture King collaboration, that was uh, Jeff's idea was because I told him how jealous I am of all the citrus they have. And that's why we're using these citrus in that Gesture King collaboration. You know, I'm trying to find, I'm actually trying to Google on my phone. I'm Googling. <laughs> I'm Googling right now. But uh, we'd mentioned on break, a restaurant I really enjoyed in Denver was Tokabi, which is a Native American restaurant. And there is a berry they use there. And I'm trying to remember what the berry was called. 
because I know that is a, a Wojapi. Do you know of Wojapi berries? I do not. No, I do not. W-O-J-A-P-I. So maybe that's one you can look into. I will absolutely look into it. Yeah. Yeah, because that's Colorado from what I see. Absolutely. I've never heard of those. That's the real deal there. What do they taste like, Tim? You've eaten them. Berries. Okay. Have you had Wajapi berries? They taste like those. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I'll I'll keep that in mind. Kind of a tart, sweet berry. Okay. Sounds like a schnoz berry. Schnoz, they taste just like schnoz berries, yeah. Troy, uh, we want to talk blending now because as I proved here with my blending skills, not anyone can blend. Yeah, so we uh, we try to brew a lot of different base recipes so that when the beers become ready months and months down the road, we have a lot to choose from, right? So it's kind of like on a brew day, we're trying to make a color. And so that in a month, we might make eight different colors and five, six months down the road, we've got all those different colors that we can choose from. And to, to, to make something that A, is appropriate, but then also is going to taste delicious with a fruit that we're going to use with it. Now, when you go into blending, uh, one thing I saw, read, I, I looked at several articles in preparation for this interview, but I saw that you compared blending a beer to mixing hip hop. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. So how do those two relate to each other? <laughs> so I don't know anything about making music or uh, or anything like that. I'm, I'm just a fan of, uh, of hip-hop in general and sampling. So I love to listen to a hip-hop, a modern-day, right, post-1985 uh, uh, hip-hop song, which has used samples of uh, different music and how they take those samples and then make something completely unique with it. And that's how I envision blending is how can I do something super different with something that's really ready, readily available and kind of flip it into something that is really unique. And so that's pretty awesome. What's yeah. the best hip hop show you've been to? I am not the biggest live uh, okay. hip hop fan, okay. but I, I remember I went to go see a Roots show. I was like front stage at a Roots concert in like 2002 at red rocks here in colorado and uh and they played the seed which is a great song from the roots and i was just getting down on that i remember off the top of my head i, I love that okay just turn the music on kick back and enjoy for it. for sure right? yeah absolutely and you your inspiration of hip-hop has even made its way into the names of your fermenters is that correct that's correct we do We've named uh, most of our fermenters off of uh, MCs or producers. I'm a big fan of production, and so most of what we've named them after, our, our fermenters have been named after, is from a production side because, like we just talked about, the production I think is what what I gravitate to is the the sound, not necessarily the words. The, there's a salt and pepper. There's an Eric so, yeah. B and a Rakim, right? <laughs> yeah, we I got we got Jay Dilla. Yeah, we got uh, Q-Tip. I'm, I'm embarrassed, but uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> Troy, what can people look forward to in the future from uh, Casey Brewing and Blending? We've got a apricot funky blended preserves. So that's apricots at about four pounds per gallon, kind of like what you guys tried earlier but we added vanilla to it. And so that really kind of mm-hmm. helps add a perceived sweetness to the blend. Um, that's coming out in April. Uh, in June, we're releasing our collaboration with Side Project Brewing out of St. Louis, uh, Leaner. So that's our peach sour beer with those guys. We're psyched about that. And then in July, we've got a raspberry funky blender preserve. So raspberries from Colorado and the Utah, like I was talking about, at over four pounds per gallon. Super jammy, really uh, awesome 
characteristics from that blend. So that's going to be for our five-year anniversary in July. So Troy, if people want to keep up with what's happening at Casey Brewing and Blending, where should they go? Uh, We're at uh, Casey Brewing on Instagram and Twitter, and then uh, Casey Brewing and Blending on Facebook. Uh, just crushing it on there. All right. Crushing the social media. Yeah. Man. You got to do it. Troy, thanks again for joining us and chatting with us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks boys. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the beer guys radio show coming up next week. We're going to time travel, Brian. Ooh, we are going back to the juice strikes back festival that we went to here in Atlanta. And uh, we talked to Unani and Hubbard's cave and we talked to barrel culture and the guys from modern hops for more crapper info. Please follow us online. We are beer guys radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're crushing the social media. Thanks again for (laughs) tuning in. Have a great week and don't forget to drink local cheers. The beer guys radio show on the beer guys radio network. BeerGuysRadio.com. Duke's Mayo. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917. Dukes is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Dukes. It's got twang.